We know as well that there are those, we could have a whole other category of people, um, you know, those that your sons, your daughters, your parents or grandparents, I mean, it'd be an endless thank yous uh, for the freedoms that we enjoy. And also, this is Pentecost Sunday. Um, This is one of the greatest days in the church. Fifty days ago, we celebrated Easter and the resurrection, and 50 days after the resurrection is when Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon 120 believers in the upper room. Jesus asked them to pray and wait, and they received power to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, and we're the result of that. That's why we have a church today. That's why we're here is because of, of 120 that uh, were filled with the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people came to Christ that day. 3,000. Imagine that baptism service, how long that baptism service took. Um, but what a launch of Christ and his, his church. And so we celebrate Pentecost on this day. And I think it's a great day on this three-day weekend for the subject matter we have at hand. We've been in this hope series. So if you're new online, welcome. If you're new with us here today, welcome. We're in a series called Hope. And we've been talking about seven factors that increase our hope, seven factors that build our hope, and seven factors that everyone needs uh, to have their hope uh, levels raised. And so I just want to share with you, we have one more sermon next week. I want to share with you a lot of where um, inspiration has come from this, obviously the scriptures. Uh, but the second part is this book called HQ or the Hope Quotient. Ray Johnson, he's a great pastor. Uh, he's been a mentor when I was in Sacramento, uh, pastor of a large church there. He's biblically based. He's passionate about Jesus and he's passionate about people. And so I have great confidence in him. It's one of those books Um, Of course, the Bible, you read over and over and over, and you always, there's always something new every time you read it that jumps off, even a verse you've read a thousand times. But most books I read and sit down and don't read it again. This is one of those books that has so encouraged me. It's built my hope. There's some chapters we haven't covered here on marriage, on parenting, on work. And so I just encourage you, if you're looking for a good book to read this summer, The Hope Quotient or HQ by excuse me, Ray Johnson is a great book. Today is a great subject that we're talking about, and it's because uh, it's the three-day weekend, and there we go. Um, We're talking about replacing burnout with balance. Uh, This has extra significance. I didn't realize it was going to have extra significance to me this morning, but Heather and I, we had a garage sale yesterday. Uh, We had one garage sale, I think, when we first moved here. We must have forgot, like childbirth, you forget how painful it is. And so uh, we were just like, I mean, I shouldn't compare that to childbirth. That is really, you know, stupid, ignorant, and low class of me. So, but you get what I mean. Uh, We're not doing another, uh, I think we're done. We're retiring from um, garage sales. I'm so thankful we have a day off tomorrow to kind of recover uh, from the garage sale. Today we're talking about replacing burnout with balance because no one runs well on empty and no one's well when you crash and you burn. Um, just recently, um, I gave Tony Fear a check for $713.98. Um, he goes part of our church for four new tires. Um, I hate getting new tires. Not because I don't like shiny, new, and, and good tires, but for the $713.98, I don't enjoy buying new tires. There's so many other things I'd rather buy, but of course we know if we don't, and I know there's that little nub, I'm kind of a little bit OCD on this. Um, Tony would probably say you could get another, you know, 10, 15,000. When it gets to that place, I just go ahead and replace them. My most valuable prized possessions ride in the Honda Pilot and when the girls are home and, and when Heather's driving that back and forth to work. So we replace those tires uh, because the alternative is to have a blowout 
and crash and, and, and do great damage. And so we would never think about letting it go bald. Maybe my truck tires will let it go bald because you just drive around in town. But we wouldn't think about doing that to our family because we don't want them to crash and burn. And yet, why is it that we do that to our own spiritual lives and, and to our own lives that will crash and will burn? And we don't have balance. And we, we, let, we let us go to the, to we're bald, to our, to our spiritual tires are bald, and we don't replace them, and we have blowouts, and it causes all sorts of hurts for us, our families, and all those around. So we're talking about replacing uh, burnout with balance today. And uh, this is a quote from Ray Johnston. More than any time in history, we are chronically rushed, habitually late, regularly exhausted, continually pressured, desperately overloaded, totally overwhelmed, and vastly committed. We are an exhausted people. We live in a society where we're encouraged to go, 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 never stop. I mean, this is almost a message today that some would make fun of or make light of because they're like, you know, that's not the American way. That's not our Western civilization. I mean, we pulled ourselves up by our own bootstraps because we worked harder than anyone else and we did more than it. And so it, it's kind of not a value, really. It can be kind of looked at as really we're talking about rest. And yet is one of God's 10 commandments that he gave us. It's pretty important to him. It's one of the first things he did in, in creation. On the seventh day, he rested because he knows no one runs well running on empty. So we're talking about replacing burnout with balance. Um, today we're going to share some words today that you love. I know you love them. It's one of my favorite passages. I've read it so many times. I've read it at the side of hospital beds. I've read it at those whose loved ones are passing. Uh, I've read it in, in uh, preached on it multiple times. I've done series on it. I mean, it's one of the most beloved uh, passages of scriptures, and yet it's one of the least practiced in our lives. It rolls off the tongue ever so sweetly, but living it out is a different thing. And what am I talking about? I'm talking about Psalm 23. Who doesn't love Psalm 23. And so let's today together, since we you know, know it so well, let's just read this together, the Psalm 23. Would you read it with me? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house. And I will dwell in the house. I just want to make sure you're awake this morning. Don't we love that passage? I don't know anyone that says, you know what, I just don't like Psalm 23. It just doesn't relate to me. It just doesn't speak to me. It is a passage of such beauty, such poetry, and there's something that's soothing when we read it. And I, I think one of those things is to remind us that David said, the Lord is my shepherd. This was personal. We don't, we're not talking about a distant God in a far-off galaxy. He's there because God's everywhere. But we're talking about a God who David sees as not distant, but someone that's very close. And he said, the Lord is 
my shepherd, right out of the gate. The Lord is my shepherd. This is personal. This is real. This isn't distant. This isn't a God far. This is a God that's close. And the Lord is my shepherd. And then it moves into even more intimate language because he first few verses, he talks about him in the third persons. He says, he, he makes me, he leads me, he guides me. But then notice when the chips are down and everything's about to hit the fan, notice that the language changes. And he says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. No longer third person. No longer a God in the third person, but it's almost as if David is saying in this moment, God, you better be there because this is the moment that I need you. The chips are down. I need help, and you better be personal. You better be with me. And, of course, we, we know the, what most of us grew up on. This is very tame language. But the New King James Version or the King James, even the old NIV say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I mean, can we think of anything that there's more, a, a darker valley that any of us go through? That's the darkest valley any of us have gone and will ever go through is the valley of the shadow of death. Whether you're going through it personally or whether you're going through it with a loved one, there is no darker valley in our life than the valley of the shadow of death. And David is saying, you are with me. It, you, your rod and your staff, you are going to comfort me. Thank you, Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me. He leads me. He guides me. When the going gets tough, God gets personal. Now, have you thought about this? Why sheep? The Lord is my shepherd. We love that. I love the good shepherd. And Jesus talks about him being the good shepherd and being the, the shepherd of his sheep. Why sheep? Why sheep? Why not a dog? I mean, most of us have dogs, right? Why not a dog? Dogs are smart. Dogs are loyal. Dogs remember. I mean, when Molly gets in trouble, she doesn't do it again. I mean, unless she has that defiant, willful disobedience that all children have at times. She knows why she's doing it. It's just worth it to her. But she's smart. She's, she's loyal. She's protective. You come to our door, you're going to meet by bark. Now, she won't be able to do anything to you because she's a sissy. But she's, she's tough. I mean, why not a dog? Why sheep? Because sheep are dumb. Sheep are stupid. Sheep are not smart. They do the same things over again. And we are being referred to as sheep. Now, we're not being uh, ridiculed. We're not being made fun of. It's in a very affectionate language of saying, hey, I know you guys... I know that you do dumb things. And I, I just have to tell you this morning a, a shocker. I have to tell you something that's going to surprise every single one of you in this room and everyone online. This is going to blow you away. Your pastor's an idiot. Yeah, yeah thank you very much. I appreciate that. No, I'm not. I don't mean that derogatory toward myself. I'm not putting myself down. I'm just saying, friends... I want to say, but you are too. We're dumb. We're, create, we're, we're, we're equated to that as sheep because sheep 
do dumb things. Sheep even know that they got themselves into trouble and they forget and they get themselves back into the same trouble they were in before. Paul says, I don't do the things I want to do and the, the things I do want to do, I don't do. You know, I'm, I'm just what a wretched man and I. We're, we do dumb things. All of us do dumb things. We are sheep. This is us. That's us. That's you. That's me. We're dumb. We, we just, we get out of the ditch. God pulls us out. What do we do? We jump right back in. We do dumb stuff. Thankfully, we have a Lord that wants to be our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. The, the struggle comes into play here is this. We love the good shepherd. And, and there's, it's comforting to hear that language. And it's true language. We love it. And you could, you could, you could uh, switch this word out, shepherd, for savior. Because a shepherd saves and protects his sheep. A savior saves and protects us spiritually. You could, you could say savior. You could say shepherd. We love the savior. We love a savior. We love a shepherd. What we struggle is, is making the shepherd our Lord. We like the Lord to be our shepherd. We like the Lord to be our Savior, but we don't always like to make our Savior our Lord. We don't always want to make him the one calling the shots, the one that's in control. There's an element of God. We want you to save us. We want you to forgive us, but we still want to have the reins of our life. We still want to call the shots. We want to be in control. We want to have that. And, and actually, the devil's plan for us is for us to be in control. It's for us to call the shots. The Lord is my shepherd, and equally David could say, the shepherd is my Lord. Is he, your, is he your Savior this morning? Is he your Lord and Savior this morning? Because that's where the peace, that's where this personal God comes into play is when the Lord becomes my shepherd. Jim Burns is, a, is like a 30-year youth pastor veteran. He speaks at a lot of conferences. He's written 40 books, and he was telling a bunch of youth pastors this. He said, when I first got into ministry and leadership, I had an affair. It almost destroyed my marriage. I had an affair, and I almost lost my kids, almost lost my ministry, almost wrecked my health. I had an affair with my career. All my extra time went to my career. All my extra emotions went to my career. My career was all that I thought about, and it almost lost my family and my ministry because of it. And what is so powerful are the words that he says next. If the devil can't make you bad, he'll just make you busy, but because it will have the same effect. If he can't make you bad, he'll just make you busy. Now, I know... I've been in the church. I've grown up the church. I gave my heart and life to Jesus when I was 10. I, I felt like I really surrendered wholly and made him my Lord when I was 19. And it doesn't mean I was perfect after that, but I was like, you know, I'm all in. When I turned 19, I said, there's a time I said, I don't want you just to be my Savior. I want you to be Lord. I want you to call the shots. I want you to choose the direction that I'm going to go and where my life is going to end up. And the longer that I've been in the church and the longer we're in the church and the longer we've maybe known Jesus and been a follower of Jesus, the more it's kind of easy, if we're honest, to divide us into two categories and say, we know who the bad group is over here and we don't really put ourselves in there the longer we've been in the church. A lot of times we're like, we're, we're kind of the good. 
we're over in this good camp, and it's pretty recognizable who's in the bad camp by their actions and the things they do and their sins, and their sins are different than our sins, and so our sins are excusable, theirs are not, and, and it's easy to throw ourselves into a, a different camp, but the devil has us right where he wants us, if he can just make us busy, because either way, it's about getting God out of our life. It's about getting Jesus squeezed out of the picture. And there's things that are good, and I'm not going to fill in the gaps. You can fill it in yourself. There's things that are innately, innately and by themselves good, but you've heard the thing, too much of a good thing is a bad thing. We can have too much of a good thing, too much of, of pleasures, too much of stuff, too much of things that it squeezes God out. And I just asked the question this morning, is there things that, man, you're, you're a good person, you love Jesus, but is God getting squeezed out? because it leaves us in the same place. It leaves us not trusting in him. Ray Johnson does discouragement often masquerades as burnout and unchurched and unchecked discouragement kills hope. You want to kill hope? Get discouraged. They were, he was talking with about uh, 40 pastors and they were having a discussion and he was leading a weekend retreat. And at the end of this, kind of in the middle of this retreat, a common theme kept coming up amongst these pastors, and they were just saying, we're burnt out, we're burnt out, we're burnt out. And so he dove into it farther. He said, what do you mean? You know, let's, let's talk about this. What is it to be burnt out? What does that mean? And they talked about it further, and they said, you know what? Two years ago, we were just as busy then as we are today. Five years ago, we were just as busy as we were then as we are today. So what does it mean to be burnt out? Burnt out simply means it's the code word for discouraged. And we all get discouraged at times. Pastors get discouraged. People get discouraged. Everyone gets discouraged. Discouraged is universal. There's not anyone in this room that doesn't battle discouragement. I don't care how positive you are. I'm a half full kind of guy. I don't care how half full you are. You battle discouragement because it's universal. And, and uh, discouragement's repeating. I mean, you get through one discouragement, and you're like, yes, we're on the victory side, and then another discouragement comes along. It's something that's repetitive. It's something that's universal. It's something that we're always going to battle. So discouragement isn't something to eradicate and get out of our life. Discouragement is something to fight, to go into battle with. And one of those ways that we get discouraged is when we just burn the candle at both ends. God created us to rest. He created us for uh, I want to ask four questions today to ask ourselves that are kind of um, can be signs of, of burnout or things that can lead to discouragement. First is the pace of my life, is it out of control? Is the pace of my life out of control? There's times, um, th there's seasons of times where we're extra busy. Those happen. You know, yesterday's garage sale, I was exhausted, but it's good to work. Work's a good thing. It's good to go to work, put in a good day's work. It's good to work hard. That's a good thing. And come home and be exhausted, have to rest up and go back. But continual, continual discouragement, continual exhaustion will lead to a pace that all of a sudden you're out of control. And, and a lot of us, we know that, you know, a speed limit is made for our good. And 98% of you in this room, you disobey the law and you go above the speed limit, you know about what you can get away with. Then there's 2% of you, you actually drive below the speed limit, and I don't like you. If you're one of those, stop it. Don't do it. 
No one likes anybody that goes below the speed limit. You're a danger to society, and you're not helping anybody, and you're not helping yourself. So keep up with the pack. Go with everyone else. But we all know that you don't go too fast. Even that speed limit, we go a little bit above. We know that you don't go too fast or you're going to crash and you're going to burn. And the same way in life, when we go too fast and we never take time to slow down. So when we see that caution sign coming up around the corner and it says, slow down in life, 45, or you're going to hit this curve and you're not going to make it. We were created. God created us with limitations. He, he created us with, with boundaries. He doesn't want us to cross because he wants us to trust in him. He's given us all 168 hours in the week. He's given us each seven days a week. We all have the equal amount of time. And yet are we trusting God? Are we putting him first? I think about uh, my first job other than mowing. I think about Chick-fil-A. You've heard me share this before. Chick-fil-A and Hobby Lobby, two of the most successful businesses that aren't open on Sunday. And I'm not being legalistic. You might have a certain business. You have to be open on Sunday. But you don't have your employees working seven days a week, or you shouldn't. You are not working seven days a week, or you, you shouldn't. But there's a day of, of rest. And when I first started working for Chick-fil-A in the Topeka Mall, and uh, the food court opened up as a brand-new mall, and for months upon months, I never remember each month, I never remember a month where our boss and our owner came to us and said, we took second in sales. We were always first in sales, every single month, first in sales. And yet it was six days. God can do more with our, giving us rest. He can do more with our six days than we can do with our seven. And, and it's, it's something when we let our life get out of control and we're trying to take control, we're just saying, I trust me. I know best. But to actually trust God and give him rest is saying, God, I believe that you're in control. You, you will manage my time and my life better than I can. Secondly, am I running on empty? We all have a gauge. Um, you know, when we're driving, we know what it is for the gas gauge and the light to come on. It was just a couple weeks ago, my oldest, Reagan, called me and said, Daddy, uh, when is it, when that light comes on, what does that mean? How, how, much, how much more do I have? It's like, you got a mile and a half. Get there, get there, get there, get there, get there. No, you have two miles. I mean, I'm sorry, excuse me. You have two gallons, and you have about 40, 50 miles. But you don't ignore the warning light. You go get filled up so you can continue to run at high up. But what do we do in our own spiritual lives? What's our, what's our gauge? What's our indicator? I believe our gauge, our indicator for our spiritual lives is joy. And you can tell when you are burning out and when you're out of balance is when you're losing and the joy is being sucked out of your life and you're not being refilled. And I want to make sure that we're very clear that joy is not happiness. Happiness is something that is circumstantial. Happiness is when we're on the mountaintop. Happiness is when we get the raise. Happiness when our health is great. Happiness is when everything's going right and everything's lining up, so we're looking for the next thrill, for the next thing. That's happiness. That's not joy. Joy is an inner peace. Joy is something, in fact, the, it's described in Scripture, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And a lot of people are looking for joy in a lot of other things besides the Lord, and they find themselves empty and strained and, and burn out. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Am I running on empty? Am I refueling? I'm putting God first. Am I, am I taking time with him every day? You've heard this said before, if you're new, this kind of three things. Divert daily, withdraw weekly, abandon annually. There's got to be a part in your day where you say, God, I'm going to trust you. I, I can't get it all done anyway. I'm going to trust you with it. For me, it's starting off my day. 
And I can tell you, I don't start every day off with God. And the days I don't start off with God, those days don't, just don't seem to go as well. And I don't feel the same level of peace and security. And it doesn't that things go perfect because you spend time with God. That's not it. But there's a level of, there's a level of contentment. There's a level of confidence that is given to us when we put God first. When we withdraw weekly, you're actually filling your tank today. It's one of the things you're filling up your batteries you're filling up your gas tank spiritually by withdrawing weekly. You have other things you could do right now. You don't lack for more things to do. And the temptation will be to just go work hard afterwards and do a lot of stuff. Maybe the most spiritual thing you could do today is go home and take a nap. Rest, withdraw weekly, and abandon annually. We're coming up on summer. Vacations are awesome. Family vacations, there's nothing like them. We bless you. we got people that are on this three-day weekend, and they're on vacation. Summer's hit. Praise God. You're watching online doing that. Um, I'm going to tell on Jerry Green. He was on board a few years ago, and uh, uh, I was asking, hey, who's all watching online? Because it was kind of in the middle of the pandemic, and then afterwards, who's still watching? And Jerry said, I love you, Pastor, but when I go on vacation, I don't even want to watch you. <laughs> I love honesty. And he's got a point. You take a break. You just take a rest from everything. Go hear another pastor or just take a, you're not going to, anyway, I'm getting off on a tangent, so I'm not going to do that. We're going to go to the next point. Here's some, here's some things to know if you're running on empty. You know, you have vital signs. You can check your heart rate. You can check your pulse. You can check your cholesterol with your doctor. You can do, uh, you can, uh, do your blood pressure. Here's five spiritual vital signs I just want to share with you quickly. First one is this, emotions. Have you cried lately? Have you really laughed a healthy heart is fully aware of deep emotion and can name it. It is, we're emotional beings. If you're at a place and you've lost emotion, can I just encourage you, get professional help. It's okay. It's good to cry. Uh, uh, Riley called in crying on Thursday, and uh, she had a classmate. He's going to be a junior. He's on the basketball team at Olivet in these small colleges. It's a tight community. But a, a young man, age of 20, was killed in an audible accident. And, and later that day, we checked in on her, and we we're like, how you doing? She goes, I'm so mad. I just, I'm crying all day. I can't control it. It's healthy. It's called grieving. It's called, it's good. And if we're not experiencing emotions, that's a tell sign that we need to get help. It's a good, whether it's laughter or whether it's crying, we need to experience emotions. Moments, are you present or preoccupied? Don't ask yourself this question. Go to your spouse, go to a coworker, go to your children. I mean, we've all been there probably. When, guys, have you ever done this? You're like, I got a 50-50 chance on this one. Your wife's asked you a question and you're like, man, yes or no, yes or no, yes or no. <laughs> yes. You didn't even hear the question. It wasn't even a yes or no answer. It was like, okay, you're right. You, the, just ask. They'll, they'll know if you're present or not, if it's good to be present. Are you having fun? Do you set aside time for enjoyment, whether activities, sports, quiet reading, arts or crafts? When was the last time you really had fun? Newsflash, we have a God who likes to have fun. We got a God with a sense of humor because he created you and he created me. We have a God that is serious about sin and serious about salvation and saving us, but he wants believers and Christians, he wants us. We should be having the most fun without any substance or anything we have to put in our bodies to make it happen. We should be the people having the most fun because God has saved us and forgiven us. All right, what about people? Do you resent phone calls and people seeking you out? Or do you see them as opportunities for ministry? 
If you're running for cover and you're just trying to dodge people, it's probably a tell sign that you're, you're overextending yourself. It's good to get away. One of the new f- devices on your phone is do not disturb. It's a good one I like to turn on on Friday. And you know what? The problems are waiting when you come back. And you know what? The people that if they need to get a hold of you, my assistant, she knows how to get a hold of me. I mean, there's just, we got to do things so we can be our best for people. So when people are calling us and when they are, we don't see as an interruption, we see as a God opportunity. There's got to be balance. And then finally, whispers. How long has it been since you heard the still, small voice of God? One of the first signs of a hardening heart is a deafened ear to the quiet promptings of God. We don't like silence. We're good with noise, and we're good with filling every single second with stuff. But we don't like awkward silence. (laughs) That gives me the heebie-jeebies. I don't like it either. We don't like silence. Now, alone is different. We need to get time to get alone with God and let God quiet our hearts so we can hear his still small voice. A couple more things. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, finding things and peace in the things of this life, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Third question, am I dropping the right balls? I'm going to go through these last two kind of quickly. Brian Dyson, former CEO of Coca-Cola, says, Imagine life as a game in which you're juggling five balls in the air. You name them, work, family, health, friends, and spirit. And you're keeping all these in the air. You will soon understand that work is a rubber ball. If you drop it, it will bounce back. But the other four balls, family, health, friends, and spirit, are made of glass. If you drop one of these, they will be irrevocably scuffed, marked, nicked, damaged, or even shattered. They will never be the same. We all have balls that we're juggling. God designed it that way. We can't keep them all up in the airs, but make sure you're dropping the right balls. Make sure you're dropping the right, the, the, the right ball. At the beginning of this year, Pastor Christy, our children's pastor, and her mom was passing away at the beginning of the year. And the couple weeks prior to that, the end of Christmas and going into that, there was just, she has a great church. We have great volunteers. They, you guys all stepped up. We have a great pastoral team. They, they wanted to step up. They stepped up so Pastor Nate and Christy could, you know, have a few weeks before her mother's passing and a week or so afterwards. I don't remember what it was. I just know that she dropped the right ball because you don't get those moments back. But you know what was waiting for? Work. Work was still here when she got back. And the world would say, that's crazy. That we've, it's, we've been talking about it's crazy. And I, Paul, I'm sorry if you live in a workplace. And it is what it is. It's a three-day bereavement. And it's just not enough sometimes. Drop the right balls. I think of Jerry Porter. He was a general superintendent. He's retired in the Church of the Nazarene, which just means he was the highest elected, uh, elected to the highest office in our church. He's the one in 2008 when I was ordained as a pastor in the church. He's the one that prayed over me, laid his hands on me. He's just a, he, he, he shared a message with us that we're being ordained verbally, and he followed up within the week. We received a letter exactly what he just told us. And he told us these five things. He said, number one, put God first. Number two, put your spouse first. Number three, put your family first. Four, put your health first. And fifth, put your church in ministry. Because he says, if you don't 
take care of your relationship with God and you don't take care of your relationship with your spouse and your, and your kids, if you don't take care of your health, you're not going to have a ministry. And he wasn't he's saying it wasn't important, but he's saying drop the right balls. Put God first. That's the, the last one today for us this morning. Am I putting first things first? Are we putting God first? Putting God first is trust. When we say, God, I am going to give my first day of the week, I'm going to give a day of rest, I'm going to take a, a rest from my normal work and activities, I'm not going to try to squeeze seven days of work in each and every week, but I'm going to take, when you're, what you're saying is, I trust you, God. I trust you that you're going to manage my six days better than I can manage seven days. When we give God the first of our day, we're saying, God, we trust you that you can manage my, the rest of my day better than I can manage it if I just start right away getting on the emails and doing all those things and getting those things done. It, it, God, I trust you, and I'm going to put you first in our marriage. I'm going to put you first in my family. Put God first. And one of the ways it's tough that for, for people, it's tough for people to put God first with their finances. Because that's a trust when we're given to God first. And I just want to tell you a little, a little secret that I don't, all my, what we give is not out of pure motives. There's an element of selfishness. I've heard people say to me throughout my ministry, I can't afford to give. And I say, I can't afford not to. I can't afford not to because there's this element of confidence and peace no matter what we've gone through. And we've given it to God first and we've trusted him with our finances first before the other bills and everything else. There's a part of me that says, God, this is on you. <laughs> this is your responsibility. You can do better with my 90% than I can do with 100%. And so there's just a selfish part of me saying, and I'm not a name it, claim it. I'm not a wealth prosperity gospel that you're going to not go through tough times financially or whatever. But there's just a certain element that you're able to say, God, I'm endeavoring. I'm not perfect, but I'm endeavoring to put you first. And so, God, this is on you. I'm counting on you. I believe that there's just kind of wrapping this all up. I'm going to finish with the words of King David again, who said, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You know, I share this oftentimes at a graveside or at a funeral. I share this passage of Scripture because death is the great clarifier. It's in the moments of death that I see families and people and friends get moments of clarity. It's in those moments that they're going, what's really important? And some of the things I think really are important aren't really that important. So he, the psalmist says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I told you about Jerry Porter who ordained me. That came from a deep experience that that letter was given to us and those instructions were given to us. I think it was in 1995, his daughter, Amy Jo, she was 20 years old and she was dying of cancer. And it was at the very end and he tells the story the way I remember him telling it was they were in the hospital and Amy loved to worship. She loved to sing songs of praise like we sang today. And she had a kind of a favorite list of worship songs. And she asked in that moment, she said, I, would you turn some worship music on? I, I want to praise. I want to worship. And he said, we were all gathered around. The moments were getting close. And there was my 20-year-old daughter laying on her bed, flat on her back. And all of a sudden, we turned the worship on, and her hands went straight up into the air as if she was reaching out to God, that she was ready for him, that, she, that even in that moment, even in the valley of the shadow of death, 
you are with me. And yes, I don't want this, but I'm not afraid of death because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You've prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemy, even the enemy of death. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy are going to follow me all the days of my life, and I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In her dying, she had this confidence and she couldn't even speak. She didn't have the energy. And so the family just, they began to worship with her. And Jerry said, I began to close my eyes and worship with her. And when I opened my eyes, she was gone. Her hands lifted to God, reaching out to him as if to embrace him that she was ready. And they put her arms down. Friends, what a beautiful picture as we're about to receive communion. Are we reaching out to him? Are you reaching out to him? Are you putting him first? Are you going to live like you're going to live forever and you're never going to die? Are you going to be, God, teach me to number my days that I may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach me to put first things first. Teach me to drop the right balls because there's going to come a day I'm going to look back and I'm not going to wish I made another dollar. I'm going to wish that I'd spent more time with you, more time with family, more time with the things that mattered, more time with the church and God's people. Teach me to number my days that I may gain heart of wisdom. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to receive communion. It's a great day to receive communion on Memorial Day because this is a memorial to Jesus. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he took the cup and he said, hey, whenever you guys do this in the future, they didn't even know what he was talking about. But they're like, whenever, they just thought they were taking their regular Passover, but he was instituting a new covenant. He said, hey, whenever you guys do this next and from now on, whenever you do this, I want you to remember me. I want this to be a memorial to me. So when we receive the bread and the cup, we are offering up a memorial to Jesus saying, I remember your cross, I remember your death, and I celebrate your resurrection. I celebrate your forgiveness. There's a prayer that we pray at the end of our service as a word of affirmation and confirmation, but also for someone that maybe hasn't made that decision to put their trust in Christ. I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment, but today... Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to gain a heart of wisdom. And the wisest thing you can do is to turn your trust over to Jesus Christ and make him the Lord and Savior of your life. If that's you today, would you just raise your hand? I'm not going to embarrass you or call you out. Thank you. Thank you. Would you raise your hands, others? Thank you. Thank you. You can put them down. Thank you. We're going to pray this prayer before we receive communion. We're instructed when we come to the communion table to come with clean hands and a pure heart. So this is a good prayer for all of us today. But we're going to pray it with those who have raised their hands so they don't pray it on themselves. And by believing in your heart and confessing with your lips these words, if you believe it, you're going to be a child of God, loved by him. Would you open your eyes? Let's read Let's share this together. Just repeat after me this prayer of affirmation and confirmation. Lord, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, that he gave his life to forgive my sins, and he was raised from the grave to give me life. I receive your grace by faith. Come into my life. I will follow you. Amen. Amen.